we pray different prayers during a worship service. An opening prayer is a prayer to prepare us for worshiping God. Before the Lord's table, we usually pray a confession and a motivating remembrance. Before the sermon, we pray to hear from God. And a closing prayer should send us off with a blessing to serve God. These topics relate to what we need and what we will do next. We have our weekly and monthly prayer guide that we ask all our members to pray six days a week. And we pray these prayers either as written or as a springboard for deeper prayer. We're spending six weeks going over what makes each of these prayer topics important. This series will finish for us on Pentecost Sunday when we will engage in purposeful prayer with the whole Wesleyan denomination that will be together, filled, and sent, which aligns with how Jesus' disciples prayed together as they waited for the giving of the Holy Spirit. Prayer for community concerns is our third topic in our weekly prayer schedule. To explore that topic, we begin with Matthew 7, 7 through 12, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. The first thing I see in Jesus' words is everyone can get gifts. That is, get gifts from God. In this context, everyone is a child of God, and God cares for his children. There's a special way God takes care of his chosen people, whether we are talking about the nation of Israel or the church, which includes any person who has placed saving faith in Jesus. But there is a general care God has for all of creation and especially all human beings. Matthew 5:45 affirms this. Jesus says, so that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In this context of God caring for all people, Jesus is talking about asking for things that I need as a human being to survive. When Jesus says that God gives everyone rain, it doesn't get more basic than that. I mean, everyone needs water. I think in the United States, so many of us, not everyone for sure, but many people have our basic needs so readily supplied that we forget we are sometimes asking for an abundance. I ask God to take away my inconvenience instead of supplying my need. I believe God is willing to often bless beyond basic needs. Ephesians 3:20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. However, the promise of God here is for the necessities. While there are no restrictions on who receives this promise from God, there are conditions on how I receive from God. I'm to ask and seek answers. This is me being active, not passive. This is not me hoping God will answer. 
And this is not me just waiting for food and a house to fall out of the sky for me like manna. This is me humbling myself to ask and then looking for the answer that God has promised to provide. The two conditions implied are humility enough to ask and the willingness to look for the answer. Sometimes I or others don't ask humbly. The book of James addresses wrong asking in James 4, 2, and 3. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So God is looking at me asking and my motives when I ask for anything. God also looks at what I'm doing with what God has already given me. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. The Apostle Paul is saying, For the people in Thessalonica, the answer to receiving food from God is to use the strength God has given them to get a job. God's willingness to give, but wanting me to ask, reminds me of using a gift registry. Some people don't like to buy stuff off the gift registry, but think about the purpose of a registry. When my wife and I were getting married or having a child, we put down what we needed. Someone might be well uh, intending to gift us with something that's not on the registry, but sometimes we'd have to tell that person, thank you. We know you bought this for us because you knew we really needed it, but we didn't put it on the registry because we already have one. The registry allows someone to state their needs and desires and possibly have it fulfilled by someone else who's willing to meet that need or desire and perhaps bless them with more. In the same way, I can ask God plainly for what I need, knowing that God is already aware and working to meet or exceed my need. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25-32. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin or, or spin thread. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So I humbly ask and seek, knowing that God's promise is to provide. Because unlike birds, flowers, or grass, people are created in the image of God, and God wants his imagers to live. Now, asking may make me feel inadequate. There's a fine line between humility and humiliation. But the truth of humility and the reality of life is that everyone, child or adult of any age, Everyone needs help sometimes. We all need help, and we all need help from God with our temporal 
needs, and we especially need help from God with our eternal spiritual needs. I want to next add a parallel verse from Luke into our text from Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 9, and 10 says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Luke eleven twelve adds this, Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Then back to Matthew, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying here, God gives good gifts. Bread and fish were basic food staples. Eggs seemed to be a food for the wealthy and not a regular part of Jewish diet. So to understand this, we first must get like sliced white bread out of our heads. Think of a brown loaf of bread, maybe an oval roll. I've seen a lot of smooth rocks that look like that. Now bread is something that has nutritional value. But a stone does nothing to keep a person alive. A smooth stone helps me if I'm David fighting a giant, but it does nothing to ease my hunger. Fish is also basic nutrition in Jesus' times for living around the Sea of Galilee. But a snake, while something that technically can be eaten, is both unclean for a Jew and it's dangerous. For land animals, an Israelite had to eat an animal that had split hooves, chews cud, and doesn't eat dead animals. If Jesus happens to be referring to an eel, there are eels found in the rivers of Israel and mora eels in the Red Sea. Garden eels are not dangerous, but also unclean food. For seafood, an Israelite had to eat fish with both scales and fins. Eels don't have either. Mora eels are unclean and dangerous. They're not venomous like a snake, but still dangerous. And the egg. An egg is not a staple food, but it's a treat. Israelites may not have started eating eggs until the Babylonian captivity. Most of the scorpions in Israel of the, are of the Basaid family, which include the types most dangerous to humans. The Palestinian yellow scorpion is also known as the death stalker. Its venom is a mixture of neurotoxins with a low lethal dose. The sting is extraordinarily painful and wouldn't normally kill a healthy adult human, but would be life-threatening to a young child. What parent would give this to their child when he or she asked for a treat? Jesus did say in Mark 10:18 that no one is good except God, but I don't think that he means here in our passage that Jesus assumes all parents are ethically evil. Evil can mean in a bad condition or hard-pressed by labors or troubles. I think that's the way Jesus is referring to human parents here. When times are hard, parents sacrifice their own well-being to ensure the well-being of their children. The parent gives their child the bread and keeps the rock for themselves, telling the child, I'm going to eat mine later. The parent gives their child the fish and themselves eat the ceremonially unclean or dangerous food for themselves. The parent makes sure their child is not only protected from danger, but even the poorest family at least occasionally gets something special for their child. I want to read to you the parable called The Eight Lies of a Mother. I hope as a parent or child, you can relate to at least some part of this parable. The story began when I was a child. I was the son of a poor family. We did not even have enough food. Whenever mealtime came, mother would often give me her portion of rice. When she was removing 
her rice into my bowl, she would say, eat this rice, son. I'm not hungry. That was mother's first lie. When I was growing up, my mother gave up her spare time to go fishing in a river near our house. She hoped that from the fish she caught, she could give me a little bit of nutritious food for my growth. After fishing, she would cook some fresh fish soup. While I was eating, mother would sit beside me and eat the meat from the scraps. I offered my soup to her, but she immediately refused and said, Eat your fish, son. I don't really like fish. That was mother's second lie. Then to fund my studies, mother found a side job recycling used matchboxes. It gave her some money to cover our needs. As the winter came, I woke up from my sleep and looked at my mother, who was awake, supported by a little candlelight, still working away. I said, Mother, go to sleep. It's late. Tomorrow morning, you still have to go to work. Mother smiled and said, Go to sleep, dear. I'm not tired. That was Mother's third lie. The final term arrived. Mother asked for leave from work in order to accompany me. While the sun was starting to shine strongly, my persevering mother waited for me under the heat for several hours. As the bell rang, which indicated that the final exam had finished, mother immediately welcomed me and poured me a cup of tea that she had brought in a flask. Seeing my mother covered with perspiration, I at once gave her my cup and asked her to drink too. Mother said, drink, son. I'm not thirsty. That was mother's fourth lie. After the death of my father, my poor mother had to play her role as a single parent. She had to fund our needs alone. Our family's life was more more complicated. No days were without suffering. Our family's condition was getting worse. So a kind uncle who lived near our house assisted now and then. Our neighbors often advised my mother to marry again. But mother was stubborn and didn't take their advice. She said, I don't need love. That was mother's fifth lie. After I had finished my studies and got a job, it was the time for my old mother to retire. But she didn't want to. She would go to the marketplace every morning just to sell some vegetables to fulfill her needs. I, who worked in another city, often sent her some money to help her in fulfilling her needs. But she would not accept the money. At times, she even sent the money back to me. She said, I have enough money. That was mother's sixth lie. After graduating with a bachelor's degree, I began work on my master's degree. It was funded by a company through a scholarship program, a company that eventually hired me to work for them. With a good salary, I intended to help my mother enjoy her life. But my lovely mother didn't want to bother her son. She said to me, I'm doing just fine. That was mother's seventh lie. In her old age, mother got stomach cancer and and had to be hospitalized. I, who lived miles away across the ocean, went home to visit my dearest mother. She lay in weakness on her bed after having an operation. Mother, who looked so old, was staring at me in deep thought. She tried to spread a smile on her face, but it was noticeably uh, difficult. It was clear that the disease had weakened mother's body. She looked so frail and weak, I stared at my mother with tears flowing. My heart was hurt, so hurt, seeing my mother in that condition. But mother, with the little strength she had, said, Don't cry, my dear. I'm not in pain. That was mother's eighth and last lie.
if we as human parents know to sacrifice like that, how much more does God the Father give as one who is never hard-pressed for resources and one who is generous beyond measure? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And my needs are physical and spiritual. That's why my rich and generous God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 I'm blessed to have generous and sacrificial parents. But that's not who I'm asking. I'm asking my heavenly father. But that doesn't mean God doesn't use people. Matthew seven twelve, our last verse. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. One of the things that God gives is human generosity. God can and still does use supernatural means to keep his promises. I mentioned earlier briefly about the Israelites receiving manna to eat every morning for 40 years as they were in the wilderness. They still had to go out six days a week to collect it, but God provided their food and sometimes water supernaturally. God also uses natural means to keep his promises. Rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous. Rain is not supernatural, it's weather. One of the main natural means God uses is people. Here's a true story of how God uses both. Tendai was living in London and going to college. He was broke. After he would pay his rent, he would often have to ask his roommates to cover the bills until he got paid again. Going out was not an option, so he spent a lot of time with God, praying. Not necessarily asking, just praying. Tendai was in church one day, and he literally had only one penny to put in the offering. He was so embarrassed that he put his penny into an envelope so no one would see. That day he had been praying for about 20 minutes when he pictured in his mind his friend Sarah and God spoke to him, your money is coming tomorrow. What money, said Tendai? What are you talking about? God said, go in tomorrow afternoon to the bank and collect it. Take half of it and give the rest to Sarah. Tendai didn't know what to think or feel. He was scared and kind of excited to see if this was real. The next day, he went to the bank and found that 800 pounds sterling, a little over $1,100, was deposited into his account with no reference from where it came from. He withdrew half the money, met Sarah, and said, I just want you to know God loves you. Bless you. God gave, or he gave her the money along with a note that explained what happened. 1 John 3:17 and 18 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. James 2:15 through 17 says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. 
often the supernatural means God uses is moving on the hearts of his people. Jesus' statement in Matthew 7:12, what we call the golden rule, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, is first about generosity, a principle he teaches again in the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16, 1-13. I can't guarantee that the individual person I am generous to will be the one to pay me back. The story of David and Nabal in 1 Samuel 25 illustrates that. David's men, under no obligation to protect Nabal's sheep shearers, uh, go ahead and do that. And when the shearing is done, the cultural social contract would be for Nabal, who is a man of means, to provide some provisions for David's men. But Nabal refuses. David eventually does get paid for his services by Nabal's wife, Abigail. The principle is not that I give generously so that others will owe me, but that I give generously because I trust God will provide all my needs and more. 2 Corinthians 6, 6 or 9, 6-8 says, The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. And that's why we pray for the needs of our community, and why we also act to meet the needs of our community. This year, as we've done in the past, we will be God's instruments to supply the needs of two of our partners, First Care Pregnancy Center and Tubman. Sometimes, The answer someone is looking for is me. And sometimes the answer I'm looking for is you. Two of the living stones relate to our lesson today, stewardship and society. I encourage you to explore those areas of our discipleship pathway. Humbly ask God to meet needs and look to see if you are the answer to someone's prayer. Our psalm of the day is fitting. It's from Psalm 22. I'll begin with that prayer and then move into our prayer for the community. The Lord has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. Therefore, I will praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his own life. All people at all times and generations will be told of the Lord and serve him. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born and declare what he has done. Our sustaining Lord, you care for for creation from a flower to every human being and rulers' hearts are in your hand. We thank you for the special care that we have seen. We ask for peace for our nation, provision for our community partners, and healing for those individuals. Today I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord who has never failed in any of his good promises, who does not leave or forsake his own, may he turn your hearts to him to walk in his ways 
and keep his commands that he gave our fathers in the faith.